What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here with another episode of the Thrive in Life podcast. Today, we have Harry and Brett, the two hosts of the Meat Mafia podcast, interviewing me. They did this interview back during the summertime and released it in October, and I just wanted to spotlight them and what they're working on. I was hanging out with them the other day at the ranch that they're staying at, and I just realized that I am so grateful for the types of people that I get to hang around each and every day and every week here in Austin, Texas. There's so many people that are spreading such positive energy and making a large impact on the world. And in 2023, one of my goals is to not only spotlight them as guests, but show them in their craft and in their work. And I believe in Harry and Brett, and I think that they are going to continue to grow their podcast. And I wanted to show that to my audience. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Please welcome Harry and Brett from the Meat Mafia. CJ Finley. What's up? Welcome to the Meat Mafia podcast. We don't do many in-person uh, interviews, so this is good. This is good for us. We say we save two for one. We've got you. We got Noah on, so it's going to be a great day. Heck yeah! I'm very interested in what we're going to be chatting about today, especially because I have no idea what the Meat Mafia podcast oh, is baby. all about. You're in for a treat. Yeah, we can discuss it all. And you've got me on like 20 neuromints. So I've had this <laughs> time. So that's Noah. But I'll start um, shaking. It'll be good. Um, with that. Well, dude, we got connected through Squatch and through Noah, who's in the room, um, and we know that you have a huge health component to your life, love everything you're doing with your Thrive on Life podcast, which we want to talk a bunch more about, but I guess as an intro for you, you're the host of the Thrive on Life podcast. You got into that three years ago, is that right? Yep. And now you're just headfirst into it, like 170-something episodes in? How's that? At least 179 today. But who's counting though? Yeah. Nobody's counting. How, how good does it feel to get to the three digits? Good and bad, I would say. <laughs> it's It was a great feeling because in my head when I started the podcast, I broke it down into zero through 50. All I wanted to do was get better at being a host. Mm. I didn't care about listens. I didn't care about my equipment. So didn't care about the camera or what I was recording on. All I cared about was having a good conversation with somebody mm. and what would lead to a great conversation. So it actually started off at a Whole Foods rooftop with my buddy Fias, who is the founder and CEO of Prep to Your Door, a local uh, food delivery service here in Austin, Texas. They're actually now throughout uh, multiple cities in Texas mm-hmm. and scaling. So shout Sweet. out to them because he took a shot on me and was willing to say, hey, buddy, like, I want to have a conversation with you. Let's do it at Whole Foods. Um, and then that just led to me having conversations and literally I would show up to other people's because Love I was, it. I consider myself a nobody. I'm still like, <laughs> I show up as a nobody. I'm just a guy that is passionate about what I do every single day. And at the end of the day, I would tell myself, this isn't about getting the listens. This isn't about blowing up and becoming famous for podcasting. Mm. It's really respecting the craft Mm. and figuring out I love having conversations with people because I get a chance to ask them questions that maybe they haven't been asked before and they're really valuable to those listening on that Mm. end so zero to 50 I focus on that 50 to 100 was really how do I build a system that Mm. doesn't feel like chaos every week (laughs) in the beginning you guys can attest it just like feels like absolute chaos right uh i would record on the same day as the day i'd release and write a description (laughs) on the same day i was like i can't be doing this for the rest of my life so uh, i built a system on a trello board uh hired a couple people to help me write some sops and and really start building a team 100 and beyond felt great because i finally started feeling like okay i have 
the first iteration, the MVP, minimum viable product mm-hmm. of what this podcast looks like. I feel confident when I'm I'm hosting. I'm not nervous at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not anxious. Right. I know what it's like to reach out to somebody and ask them to be on the podcast and the value that I can bring to them and the experience that they're going to receive in return. And that felt really good after 100. It was like, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm. Now, how do I start building enough value where somebody would be willing to exchange value in return? So mm. either money, clothing, yeah, product. How can we work it out where I eventually am living a life where these conversations are leading to an exchange in value so that the world is becoming a better place through Mm. everybody that's listening. So it's a long winded answer, but that's kind of how I stepped into the podcasting arena where I was very strategic with zero to 50, 50 to a hundred and then a hundred and beyond. Um, And after one fifty, I started deciding I need to put out two a week Mm -hmm. and that's where we're at now where I need to start being more valuable Mm. and finding ways to be connect with a larger variety of an audience. So like I added in the, the three to five minute kind of motivational solo episodes Mm. on top of the guest episodes. And then hopefully in the future, I'd love to work with experts on 20, 15, 20, 30 minute episodes where it's very tactical. Mm. So Noah's a lawyer, what should people be doing when they're setting up their business. Mm -hmm. So like, let's create a checklist and have an episode on that. Mm. In my guest episodes, I don't really want to just go that nitty gritty. I want to to give them the floor to to share their story and and be vulnerable. And that's the other gap I'm hoping to fill probably in 2023 where it's, I'm either releasing two or three episodes a week that fulfill the motivational short, really short form, Mm. uh, the guest vulnerability story form, and then the tactical and practical. Mm. One of the things you talked about was gaining a level of comfort behind the mic and asking better questions with your guest. Do you find, like, was there anything in particular that you did to get more comfortable and ask better questions? Or do you think it's just time behind the microphone, just recording more episodes? It happens naturally over time. So I'm a lifelong athlete. Mm -hmm. I grew up as a four sport athlete, dwindled that down to soccer, played soccer in college. And before every game, you're on the whiteboard doing X's and O's. I kind of play the same way in the entrepreneurial world and with my podcast where not only are you playing as much as possible, you're studying as much as mm. possible. So in terms of podcasts, I would, anyone asked me to be on a podcast or anyone asked me to have a conversation, I would say yes and I would show up with my GoPro and I would pretend it was like a podcast. Mm. So even if it was just a meeting around building a website, I would pretend in my mind, this is like a podcast. How can I ask better questions and Mm. articulate questions in a way that kind of tease it up for Mm. that person to respond? And then behind the scenes, I was studying people that were already at a point that I want to get to. So when I go on a run, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm in my car, I'm listening to podcasts. When I'm walking, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm trying to fill in as much empty space in my life with that craft as possible. And it was the same thing when I was playing sports. It's what athletes do I look up to and why do I look up to them and and really what are they doing behind the scenes that nobody else is doing Mm -hmm. and figuring that out and reverse engineering down so that I could do it 
not just one day at a time, but every single day show up and getting 1% better at that craft. I love it. Did you take that same approach to branding? Cause you've got this thrive on life concept. Like the ethos of that is in the name. It's like, yes, theory. It's just like, it hits you right in the face when you, when you see it and, and hear you talking about it. So like, what was the sort of thought process behind that? Live the brand. Yeah. So I'm not that good. I'm colorblind, not good with <laughs> colors. Yeah. I, I'm very neutral because I'm not good with colors and that's not always the best way to show a thriving mm. lifestyle. If you notice, yeah. like I do a lot of black and white, which is great, <laughs> but it's because I'm not good with color schemes. Mm. But what I want to tell people out there is when you hear the word branding, it's less of what and more of who and why. And what I mean by that, when you land on someone's page in the beginning of your product, service, or your podcast in this case, it's less about what the colors are and what the fonts are and more about how you make that person feel. What are they feeling when they leave that page? And for me, it was always, is the person watching or listening to this walking away with something that's going to make them question if they could live their life in a better way? Mm. Brett mentioned you watch my stories of me running all the time yep. now. The reason I'm showing that is not because I love to run. One, it's because I am trying to stay consistent and me showing up for me every day is very important to mm. thriving on life. But then two, maybe me showing that run that one day causes somebody to then think, hmm, CJ's running a couple miles every day. Why can't I do that? I work really hard, but I'm 5'7", 150 pounds. I wasn't born this physical specimen that mm. should be able to do these high-end athletic things. Mm. And I take that as a challenge. And I want to challenge other people to challenge themselves. That's really where I thrive on life, whether it's the health side or the entrepreneurial side or the spiritual side, relationship, community building side. It's all about what are the actions that I'm actually taking on an, an everyday basis and how can somebody take something from that to then take an action in their own life. Now I'm paying people behind the scenes to like help mm. me work on the brand because I'm at a point where this does have legs. There is a system and a structure behind it. The only way that I get to the next level is I get the fuck out of the way. I have people that will say, okay, here's how we make what you have, which is great, but we want to be world-class. What does that look like? Yeah. The running videos too are really interesting because I feel like, I mean, obviously we're meeting for the first time, but I feel like. I felt like I know you, knew you before we actually got to meet mm. just because I'm seeing you speaking to those videos. And I think you're a good example of how you can curate your social media to use it the right way because there's so many times as a consumer, you feel like these accounts aren't adding, adding anything to your life. But then there's certain people, depending on what they're recording or what they're saying, where you almost feel like you get like an injection of positivity. So it's funny how like those videos for you, it could partially help you motivate yourself to run. But then for us as the consumer, we're like, wow, I actually feel better. And now I want to run going to do that. I just and then think what do so you do after that? You that's then motivate somebody else. Yes. And it's that's like a chain reaction. Yeah. It's and that's why I have a, a ripple on as a tattoo on my hand. Because mm -hmm. every day I'm looking at my hand of this heartbeat and this ripple. And it's either I can have a positive ripple on somebody or I can mm -hmm. have a negative ripple. And mm. I'm somebody that still has a shit ton of negative ripples. I mm. have a bad day. I come home and I say something to my wife that I don't necessarily – 
look up to myself for saying, mm -hmm. then that causes her to have a ripple effect. Maybe she yells back at me and maybe we have kids in the future where she then takes that out on them because I took it out on her because somebody took it out on me. Mm. It's not that we're going to have always positive ripples. It's how are you handling the negative ripples when they come due? Like, can you be that stop? And for me, that's what I hope to be for other people out there. It's less about even being like hyper positive because there's people out there that say that that's a problem. Mm. I don't understand why it's a problem, but my goal is really to not only help people be more positive and take action in their own life, but stop the negative ripple that they mm. have in their life. So if they come across my content, whether it's the podcast or my Instagram or my LinkedIn, it's okay, I've had a bad day, but then I saw this one thing, I can take an action and completely change that within an instant. Mm. And that's what I'm trying to do for myself. So for when I show my stories, because I post a lot of them and I post mm. a lot of my content, most of it is because I'm trying to live through my brand Thrive On Life. If I'm going to be the guy that is, at the, is, is the brand Thrive On Life, then what do I consider to be that brand? Mm -hmm. And it's just like anything else in life, like the more practice you put into it, the more the results are going to happen. So if I take a day off, like the universe knows that I took a day off, yeah. right? And yeah. that's where a lot of people give themselves slack because they're, mm. they're not showing up every day they show up mediocre and expect world-class results. Right. I know that to get world-class results, you have to have world-class practice and positivity. Yeah. The, go ahead. I was going to just say that the, the, ne the concept of the negative ripple is interesting too. I almost, I almost get the sense of like mental alchemy of being able to take a negative event and turn it into a positive event. And uh, speaking of that, right before we hit the record button, you shared that story of how you met your wife and how that ultimately turned into the Thrive on Life brand. And I, I just thought it was so powerful. Would would you mind sharing that story? Yeah, and I've shared it on a bunch of podcasts before, and I love sharing it just because everybody can connect with death. Mm -hmm. We've all lost somebody. If you're in, if we're in, I'm going into my mid 30s. If you're at that age, like you've lost somebody in your life that meant something to you, mm -hmm. and if you haven't, you're you're blessed because <laughs> it's something that you can't really conceive and feel until it happens. And for me, it was a two-part story where my dad lost his sister of colon cancer. She was 40 years old. So wow. she got it at like 37, 38. And my cousins were 10 and 12. And I, uh, I was 10. One of my cousins was nine. The other was 12. Probably missing the ages up. A little bit it was a long time ago but i again going back to you remember the feeling mm -hmm. i don't remember what happened i didn't go to the funeral but i remember feeling like in our family it was never the same because my dad had three sisters and i remember growing up and going over to their house mm -hmm. and the whole family's together and then when that happens it just that ripple happens mm. so my whole life i've had stomach issues as well similar to what his sisters and his family were showcasing in my mid twenties as a male, like when you have issues with your health, you don't really open up. We weren't taught to open up or be vulnerable. The only thing we're taught is like, maybe go get a checkup at the doctor. So I would do that. I spent thousands of dollars. I had colonoscopies. They're like, you're good. And I'm like, no, I'm not good. Like I'm shitting blood. Like something mm -hmm. is wrong. Mm. Um, so I had that going on in my life and just a lot of stress. And then on the other hand, my wife, who was then my friend at the time, we've known each other since we were 10 years old. 
her father was what I would consider a world-class athlete. He was 53 years old, still playing soccer with like 30-year-olds. He was wow. an All-American soccer player from UPenn when he was in college, mm-hmm. uh, captain of the team. He just kept it going, and he was the guy that was putting sandbags on broomsticks and doing lunge, walking lunges, weighted walking lunges across his backyard <laughs> in the 90s before this was even a thing. Damn. And it kills me because today he would love all like we met at Squatch, he would love that. Mm. He would love it. But he unfortunately died of a heart attack in a spin class and recovery wasn't as much of a thing in the 90s and early 2000s. That just wasn't talked about. So the ice baths and the sauna, like Mm. the culture we're breeding around mental health and and reducing stress, working really hard at your physicality and your muscle and all that, but also on the other end, spending a lot of time on the recovery. And what ended up happening was when he passed away, he died on my mom's birthday. And we've, again, we've been lifelong friends. My mom calls me, hey, Aaron's father died. And I couldn't go to the funeral because I was training at training for my first corporate job. Hmm. And I felt like, oh, I can't, can't leave this. Right. Like that terrible feeling. Yeah. Like, oh, like this person means the world to me growing up. And I can't believe that this is happening to her, but like, this is my first job just to be put with that decision. Mm. It's one of the reasons that the corporate world, I had to leave it because Mm -hmm. just the fact that I felt that way Mm. showed me that this is just not the path that I want to go down. But it did cause something that changed my life forever where I felt so bad that I couldn't go that I wrote her an email. Mm. And then every few months we were writing emails back and forth. Eventually I visited her and then we hit it off and I, I knew right away, I was like, I'm going to marry this girl. Like, she is the fire that I need in my life to, like, mm. change my life around. With that caveat, caveat also came, she was like, you need to fix your own shit, yeah. literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went to the doctors and, and really started figuring out that they weren't going to be the solution to it. I was. Mm-hmm. I had to own up to the poor decisions that I was making every single day. I was not. I was, I was still drinking. I was still stressed out. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't focused on recovery. So there was a lot. I was cheating on um, celiac disease. So I was cheating on that. I was eating things I shouldn't have been eating. Mm. And I just wasn't looking in the mirror and telling myself, wow, like you are the, you are the problem. You're yeah. also mm. the solution though. Yeah. And that led to us looking in the mirror and saying, okay, what do we want to start? I want to start something bigger that gives me a purpose where every day I wake up and I I feel like I can't do anything but focus on this thing. Mm. And when I had realized that my whole life I loved this girl and I was patient and I worked hard and I changed a lot over the course of my life to eventually get the opportunity to ask her out, I started thinking, well, how can that apply to the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. What do I need to change for those positive results to happen? And that's where we thought of the word thrive because – no matter what happened to us in life, like she, she handled her father's death. Like, I don't know how, I don't know how she did it. Like had to deal with the house, like everything from Texas. Mm. And this has happened in New Jersey and still keeping a full-time engineering job and still working out and still finding time to have a social life and keeping it all together. That was inspiring to me. I wanted to fulfill something similar. Mm. And that's where, we thought of that word thrive, 
unfortunately thrive.com was taken it's still being parked by somebody <laughs> in minnesota they don't want to sell it maybe i'll buy it for a million dollars one day we'll see we're gonna You're get it eventually to, yeah. yeah you got it yeah. i've been saying this on multiple <laughs> things i'm like i'm gonna buy that thing one day um but landed on thrive on life just because every single day i don't want to just wake up and meander and, and survive and i mm. was doing that for so long it was one of the reasons that i think i kept drinking because i wanted more for my life but mm. i wasn't holding myself to that standard and Today, it's how do I make myself proud every single day? And that's mm. really what Thrive on Life is. So when I post stories, it's I tell everybody this that's getting into content. Like you, your, your first person that you have to do it for is yourself. Mm. If you feel off, like whatever you're doing, it's pointless to do because you're not going to be consistent with it and you're not consistent with it. It's not going to reap the results that you hope them mm. to have. Dude, that story, like the peaks and valleys of life are all encompassed in that story, right? Like loss love, uh, finding your inspiration, dealing with a health problem. Like I think everyone can kind of connect with that. Um, what were sort of the things that you were doing to like, whether it's stopping drinking or, or, you know, leaning harder into your relationship and like having that community element into your, into your life or leaning into family. Like what were sort of the things that you were relying on as you were going through that? Cause clearly it was not an easy time, but you were also having your life kind of fall into place at the same time, like finding your passion. So curious, like what were some of the things that really led you down that path? Environment is everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your environment isn't just where you sleep and where your home is. It's in your mind. Mm. It's the number one thing that nobody focuses on is what is my environment like in my mind yeah. every single day? The one thing you have to live with every day? Every day. <laughs> I wasn't in tune with what was going on in my mind. As soon as I gave myself the permission, and this is why I say the word permission, I want to give everybody listening, you got to grant yourself permission to cultivate the environment that you wish to have in your mind. And that's going to take time. Your mind is a muscle. You don't walk into the gym. I didn't walk into the gym on day one as a scrawny 115 pound kid and come out with muscles mm -hmm. on day one. It didn't yeah. happen. It was training every single day, asking the expert in the gym, hey, how do I tweak this? Reading a book on it. It's the same thing with your mind. You have to surround yourself with other people that are two, five, 10 years ahead of you or 50 years ahead of you, mm -hmm. right. ask them, how did you handle the stress? How did you cure yourself? How did you figure some of these solutions out? That was my first step, was really taking notes of how is my time being spent, not externally, but internally. Mm -hmm. When I wake up, what's the first thought I have every day? Mm. Am I grateful or am I spiteful? Same thing when I go to sleep. When I'm at work, do I feel fulfilled in this environment at work? Is my mind like, yeah, I love this work? Or is it like, I can't wait to get home? <laughs> Once you start taking note of that, it's like, okay, I can't wait to get home. Okay, I need to change that. Yeah. And I either change it by reevaluating and saying, I was off and the job actually does fulfill me, or I have to change the job. Mm -hmm. So there's only a black and white. And I'm a logical thinker and I try to get creative people and people that lean into their feelings more to align more with a logical stance of make, when you make things 
an A or a B choice, it's much easier than infinite choices. Mm -hmm. So no matter who's listening, you can try all the products and do all the things that I do. You can work out, you can run, you can get IVs, you can take your vitamins, you can eat nutrition in a proper way. But if you don't like the environment in your mind, none of that shit's going to matter. So that would be the number one thing that I would start on. And I was fortunate because Aaron, my wife, we were doing it together. We're Mm. both trying to figure out how do we handle stress better? How do we handle the external better? How can I show up into an environment that is stressful and anxiety-inducing, but in my mind, I'm calm? And I am peaceful. If you can do that, you can solve any problem in your in your life, mm. whether it's health, wealth, relationships, yeah. all of it. It starts here. It's such an amazing point too because we get this all the time. You know, People just in your DMs asking you about the supplement to follow, the diet, the sleep device, the hack. And it's like it's always right here. It's always been available to you. But that's the last place that people will look even though it's the closest and most readily available thing. I actually never even thought about the, that before about actually giving yourself permission. Like if you don't give yourself permission, you can't – If like which is step one. You can't do steps two through ten or however many steps there are. So When do we have time? Look at the average yeah. person's life. They're- I wake up. I chug some coffee. <laughs> I go out the door. Go to my job. Then it's my job sucking time for me. Then yeah. I get home. My main focus is two things. If you do work out, your main focus is I need to eat something and then go work out. Mm-hmm. If I don't work out, it's typically I'm going to eat something and watch Netflix or, mm. or bullshit. Right? Yes. When are you spending time like actually thinking about what is my environment in my brain? And that's yeah. the number one problem. We don't, we, don't, we don't start that trend as when we were youth. I, it was even worse. I woke up earlier and went to high school. I got to high school at 7.15 in the morning. Mm. Like it was nonstop classes, eight classes until three. Then it was sports. Then it was I got home and I ate dinner and then I did homework. Yeah. There's totally. no time yeah. to no. just be and understand ourselves. It's you're in this cog, in this wheel from day one that we come out the womb. Totally. Yeah. We're hearing a lot more research just about the gut-brain connection, right? And so I'm just curious with some of the gut health issues that you've had, which I relate to because I have had ulcerative colitis for six years, so healing my colon was huge for me. Did you find that once you were able to cure your gut and get back to a really good quality baseline, that the rest of your life improved and your mindset was able to improve? Did you notice anything like that? Yeah. First off, uh, sorry to hear that you've had to deal with that. Um, One of my best friends has the same thing and I'd love to connect you guys because um, I'm trying to help him lean more into the holistic side oh, of yeah. Yeah. healing. For me, it was the approach that I had to start taking was believing that I can heal. Because mm-hmm. what happens is you, you're you taught based on society that when I have a problem, the doctor's going to fix it mm. or this pill's going to fix it or this procedure's going to fix it. We're not taught to look internally and ask ourselves what caused this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. They're going to say genetics. Oh, it's just you just got poor genetics. Mm-hmm. Right. But the reality is, yes, I could genetically have something, but it's just like a wound on the outside of your body. If I were to cut both of you right now, let's just get, say a paper cut. Yeah, it fucking hurts, but it's going to heal in a couple of days. But mm-hmm. what if I cut you? And then every morning, I, I 
scrape that cut. Right. I take some sandpaper over that cut. Is it right. ever going to heal? No. Well, what most people are doing internally, they don't believe that their organs can heal because mm-hmm. nobody talks about it. Yeah. And they just sandpaper their organs all damn day, mm. right? Monday through Friday, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to stress out. And then what do I do on Friday night? Sandpaper, alcohol. Yeah. The worst thing Drugs, you can do for your gut. Lack of sleep. Sandpaper, sandpaper. So yeah. it's sandpaper all week in multiple different ways. I never give my body a chance to heal. And because we're brought up in that, I don't believe that I can even heal. Mm. I just see what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go to the doctor. Here's this probiotic. There's not much else we can do for you. That's what they tell you. I start reading and doing research and finding out, okay, well, the first step is to understand that I'm a unique individual, that I have to take away the belief that just because my aunt got colon cancer, that I'm going to get colon Mm -hmm. cancer. Just because my other aunt has Crohn's disease, I'm going to get Crohn's disease. Just because my grandfather had diabetes, I'm going to get diabetes. Take that away. Studying me as a specimen, getting a DEXA scan, getting blood work, getting different um, procedures done to just make sure like when I was 30, I got a colonoscopy just to be safe. Preventative. Preventative. Spent $2,000. Going to do the same thing when I'm 35. Yeah. Just to be safe because it runs in my family. Mm. So spending that money and investing up front, well, what I started learning was, okay, my blood work came back. My glutathione's really low. My immune response is messed up. Hmm. Hmm. Why is that? Well, I do have celiac disease, but then I did a liver test, and my liver test came back like 5x what it should have been. It should have been under 50, AST, ALT, under 50. It was at 225. So I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Why'd that happen? Cut out alcohol, drops to 30. Wow. Okay. Why did that drop so quickly? When I drank alcohol, I started feeling like I couldn't even drink one or two drinks without having like brain fog and a headache. And I'm like, mm. this, this doesn't seem right. Most people aren't experiencing this. So I asked my mom, is there anyone in our family with liver issues? She's like, oh, my grandfather died of non-alcoholic liver, uh, fatty liver disease. I'm like, oh, this links to my DEXA scan, which is showing that I have, I'm, I'm skinny. Like if you see me, you're listening to this, I'm a yeah. skinny dude. But my visceral fat is high. Really? So, fat around my organs is higher than it should be for somebody that's as skinny externally as me. So I'm like hmm. putting these things together like, oh, my liver is suffering. Well, what am I eating that's causing my liver to suffer? What am I doing on an everyday basis that's causing my liver to suffer? I'm still drinking. I'm not sleeping that well. I'm, I'm an athlete, so I put my body through a lot of stress. I'm not eating I don't like to say the word clean because, again, we're all unique. There's mm. different ways everybody should be eating that feels the best for them. I'm not eating in a way that is most beneficial to my digestion because I know my digestion. Mm. So I was cheating on that. Once I started aligning all those things and saying, you know what? I'm going to hold myself to the standard. I'm going to be accountable, and I'm going to see how I start feeling. It all started to fall into place. Mm-hmm. I started healing. And for me, what that looked like is like I started taking a normal shit for the first time ever. And I'm like, I never thought I could even do that. Mm. This is crazy. So if I actually focus on like what's stressing me out, what am I putting in my body? What am I letting around me? The Mm. people, the energy, the environments. And I start 
writing down which ones are making me feel good, which ones are making me feel mediocre, which ones are making me feel bad. I then chop out the bad mm. and it's much easier for me to align that. For me, the biggest thing though, I think was sleep, like mm. focusing on getting a whoop and an aura ring and realizing that my sleep was really bad when I thought I was like, oh, I'm getting six to seven hours a night. Mm, I'm right. fine. Was right. alcohol related to that? Or was it more just everyday life, sleep, sleep? Everyday life, I just didn't. Yeah. Like, you just wait. Like, in my mind, I'm just like, I went on left sleep in college and I was great. Yeah. So, like, stop making excuses, you little bitch. Yeah. Like, that's all I would think in my head. Again, going back to the environment in your head. Yeah. Why am I, why am I downplaying myself in my head? If I'm feeling something, if my body is showing something, mm. I had to attribute it to, well, when you get that cancer, you can't complain then mm-hmm. yeah, because you knew something was going on. Yeah. Right. And you weren't willing to make the investment. And you weren't. Exactly. So I stopped giving myself freaking excuses. Mm-hmm. How much of that in, in, uh, intuition that you built up, just like listening to your body around or gut was through writing stuff down? Because I've had success with that. Brett's had success with that. Just like food journaling or, or even just journaling in general, talk, like going through your thoughts, keeping an audit on like what you're thinking. Is that something that helped you kind of get that intuition? So much so that I have a daily newsletter because I figured uh-huh. out that like writing, just getting writing out and it's Monday through Friday, I have a newsletter. So anybody that wants to uh, sign up for that, cjfinley.com. But it's, it's something that I realized had such a profound impact on like my mental health mm. that I started doing it every day in a journal. And then I started realizing, I was like, hmm, maybe some of this stuff could apply to other people and it could be valuable. So that's yeah. where I just started the free newsletter to um, help and then... I'm 421 emails in, so mm, it's wow. been uh, almost two and a half years or something like that since mm. I've started that. And um, the journaling helped because you can't you can't lie. Like yeah. you, if you played sports, you know the saying: the ball don't lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you shoot it and either goes in or it doesn't go in. Right. Same thing with writing down in your journal. Like you can't lie about where you spent your time that day. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Or what you spent your time thinking. If you have a bad thought, write that bad thought down, and then at the end of the day, you can see how many bad that thoughts you had throughout the day. Mm. The first step is to, how do I just have one less bad thought every single day? What do mm. I have to do? Well, what did I eat that day? Who did I hang around that day? What environments were I in? What's my job? And you start like getting rid of those things and you start realizing, wow, I feel healthier and happier and more peace every single day. It's so funny that you talk about this because Harrison <laughs> and I were literally in the car yesterday and we just want to, I think maybe I turned to you and I go, I think we're just talking too negatively right now. And, and he was like, yeah, we definitely are. And we were saying, we guarantee you, like if someone recorded our conversations and we heard just the little negative things that were coming out of our mouths that were just kind of subconsciously coming out, we would be shocked. Cause I do think that we are positive more than the average human being, but your words have such power. So like, even if you're thinking positive thoughts, but you're still saying negative things, I think I forget there's an insane multiple of how much more powerful the spoken word is than a a thought. So I don't know. You just reminded me of that, but it's so interesting just to be mindful of the language that you have. I would probably bet that the people that are most positive auditory, meaning they speak probably have some of the worst thoughts in their head. Mm. Yeah. A hundred percent. Because I know me, like a lot of me talking is me rem- is me taking an action against what my mind is actually saying. Wow, mm. that's so how like, I transform myself. So, because yeah. I'm a human. Innately, I think like worst case scenario, <laughs> I want to complain. I want to judge the person. I want to put someone down. 
the only way to fight that battle against that is to speak against it. Right. And then you start taking action. And then eventually your thoughts do start changing to that judgment, that stress, that anxiety starts to go away because mm. you've had such negative thoughts mm -hmm. in your life. So yeah. some of the most powerful people out there started on the dark side right. and they spoke into existence the bright side. Interesting. I feel like, I feel like our, uh, when we speak negatively, a lot of it is hidden behind like a sense of humor. Like we try to like, like make each other laugh by busting balls or like saying something funny that's, that's negative. And then it ultimately is just like this excuse to just like totally. say negative shit. Exactly. But the, the thing is, is that the subconscious mind doesn't know that you're joking. It's just taking what you're saying at face yep. value and then it's storing it. A hundred percent. But that's what's interesting about you is, so you're basically saying that the way that you speak your spoken word is almost like your filtering system. So you're like, Hey, I'm noticing this negative thought. So I'm going to counterbalance that by forcing myself to say, cause I can't positive. control the thought. You can't, I can only control the response. So mm. good. Most people don't control the response, mm. which is why we have so many broken families and we have so many issues in the world because the thought isn't what creates the action. Mm. How many thoughts have you had to do some crazy shit? Yeah. in your life. Did you ever take action on that though? No, no because you had the counterbalance. Yeah. So I just try to do it more than mm -hmm. I would say the most person. I use tools to do it, which is like a podcast, mm. Instagram stories, LinkedIn. I use platforms to help me counterbalance even more throughout the day. And what you start noticing is the more you start counterbalancing to the other side, you start to change and mold your spirit and your soul into a completely different mm. individual. Like I'm, I'm completely different. I wrote this on my newsletter the other day. I almost can't even connect with the 18 year old, 20 year old, even like 23, 24, 25 year old me. And now most people are like, yeah, me neither. Like it's, it's been a decade. I have a different job. Yeah. I have different friends, but I'm saying more so like I can't even place myself in that body. Mm. I don't even know what it's like to even be that person. Mm. I'm so different and it's, it's interesting for me and maybe y'all feel this because you moved from where you were growing up. It's, I, when I like go back, there's like no, like when people say go home for me, like there is no home mm. because like that was a time and place in my life but it was such a vastly different person than me who had vastly different thoughts and actions mm. that like I no longer can even connect. It almost feels like a separate life. Damn. Yeah. That's so interesting. I think when you travel too and live in different cities, you evolve so much. Like, I don't know if you felt this way when you moved down here, but that fresh start is just go, go ahead and create yourself. Like go hang out with the people you want to be spending more time with. Cause now's the chance. Like you have a fresh start. It's like getting to college. Like go make the friends that are going to make you, you know, go explore that new hobby or, you know, go, go play that sport that you like playing. Like, I love the fresh start. It's, it's, it's just a, a great, uh, great way, great catalyst and for change. You're spot on. So my dream as a kid was to be a professional athlete. Mm. The only TV show I watched was ESPN. <laughs> That's me too. As soon as I came home, turned it on. As soon as I hit, ate my breakfast in the morning, ESPN. That's all I did was watch sports. I knew every sport, hockey, basketball, baseball, football. I knew all the players. And then you get into the societal structure in high school where mm. it's, it's no longer pure, I would say. No. It's, there's, there's a lot of gray areas. It's 
do I go to this one party to seem cool or do I study and practice my sport? So you have a, and you're growing up, you don't really know who you are. So I had a lot of conflict of like, I'm a socialite. I love hanging around people. I love mm-hmm. partying. I love being the life of the party. I just love life. That's where Thrive on Life comes. Mm. But a lot of competitive people can understand this where if you do one thing, you go all in on it. Yeah. So if I'm going to a party, I'm not going to just hang out, <laughs> have a up, and then dip. Yeah. I'm going all in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would do that in every area of my life. And it caused me to lose a sense of self. And this is where going back to what we were just talking about, like I don't even connect with that person because I am now the person that I feel like I was always meant to be. Mm. 10 years ago, I was some version that got molded by the people I was around, the school I went to, the different things that pressured me into becoming that thing. So you take a diamond and you put the pressure on it, it becomes something, Mm. another diamond. But now I'm like choosing what does my diamond look like? Mm. And that's what going to a new environment like Austin allows you to do is you get to choose what diamond you actually are. And for me, it was, I want to do things that are hard. I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be a professional podcaster. I want to be a professional investor. I want to do these things that not everybody gets to do. Okay, well, if I want to become somebody that not everybody gets to become, I have to do things that other people aren't willing to do. Mm. And it's much easier to do things that other people aren't willing to do in a fresh environment than in an environment where you have people that if they see you doing anything outside of the norm, they're pulling you down. When I got into a new environment, like I'm hanging around my best friend Noah, I mean, we we don't get to hang out as much as I wish we got to hang out. But we have this mutual understanding of like we are grinding. And Mm. if I'm like, yo, I need your help on this one thing, he's there Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Rather than being like, yo, dude, like why didn't you come hang out with me on Friday? Or why didn't you like show up to my thing or or vice versa? It's it's such a different environment once you get to be able to choose what you're putting your energy into. How, How great is that having that like one friend, one or two friends that you can just go to for anything? Irreplaceable. It's worth life. Yeah. 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 It's like, and luckily I'm married to her (laughs) because we were friends before we were in a relationship. And if I was to give relationship advice on here, it would be when you marry that person, that needs to be the person that knows everything about you. And that's the advantage that I have. Like Aaron knows my exes. She knows everything that has happened in my life and she knows me to my core. And when when someone knows you like that, the the trust is just so strong and you can just be your most you possible. Then you start saying, okay, how do I have other friendships? For me, it's male friendships. I think a lot of males struggle with that. It's like, how can I be vulnerable around other males and like be my truest self? And if I'm my truest self, and I know Noah can attest to this, if I'm my truest self, it allows him to be his truest self. Mm-hmm. And our truest self isn't always our best self. Yeah, That's the conflict. It's just like our truest self is angry sometimes, is frustrated. Mm-hmm. You're in the car talking. I get loud. I get passionate. I say things that <laughs> off the top, I'm like, oh, shit, I should not have said that. <laughs> but your friend, your true friend is like, hey, I'm going to allow that, but here's how you probably should go about that mm-hmm. yeah. in the future. Mm-hmm. And your best friends are the one that the ones that you can be the realist with. 
and you can be the realist with them because they know that they're going to check you and give you the advice that you don't want to hear, but you really do need to hear it as well. And you know that they're a true friend when you when you give them the advice and actually take action on it. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, this this literally has happened. Noah and my wife have sat me down and be like, you're going about this one method in your life in the wrong, like with the wrong approach. And of course, I'm defensive when this happens. It's just an innate thing, Yeah. right? But what do I do after that? I go home, I reflect, and I'm like, I really care about these people and they're seeing me show up in a way that they think I should approach in a different manner. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna give that some thought. I'm gonna go on a walk, I'm gonna go on a run, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out what is it that they are seeing that I'm not seeing. I'm gonna uncover that little speck of dust underneath mm-hmm. that rock that I've just let accrue into something that I don't wanna be. And I'm gonna hear them and I'm gonna listen to them. Then I'm gonna ask, okay, Noah and Aaron, what does that action look like in the opposite way? Mm. How can I do that? And I'm not perfect at this by any measure, but if you were to ask them, have I made improvements? Yes. Am I perfect? No. And I think a lot of males get defensive because we want to go zero to 100 rather than zero, 0. 0.1, mm. 0. 0.2, 0.3. And if you just ask your friends around you, like, how can I be better in like a 0.1 mm-hmm. sphere? Because I'm still going to fuck up a lot, but I just want to be 0.1% better. Yeah. What does that look like? And being the one, so flipping that on what you said, Brett, not just being the one that, that gets the advice mm. because you have friends that are willing to say something, but asks for the advice. Yes. Mm. How many friends do you have that literally sit you down and say, hey, I want to be better? Yeah. I mean, not many. A a close circle. But it's also one of those things, too, like when you build a reputation, like if there's something that like your closest friends know you're trying to work on, but you've built a reputation for yourself, or it's like, like for me, I'm always late. It's like, dude, you're not going to, if you don't acknowledge it and say like, hey, guys, I'm trying to work on this and like get better at it. So they know that you're trying to address the problem of being the guy who's always late. Right. Or like whatever it is, it's like, they need to also know that like you're trying, you want to, you want to get better at it. It's not just like this shit you're pissing away. Now I have counterintuitive advice to that. Do or don't try is not a word. Mm. So if you're late, like I'm late too. I want to be late. Yeah. If I really didn't want to be late, I wouldn't fucking be late. Yeah. Right. Period. Done. So it's just like, that's kind of how I live my life where if I were to be your friend, I'm just like, just accept that you're late. Yeah. That's who you are. I get so caught up in what I'm doing because I'm so passionate. Like we're late today. Yeah. But I haven't looked at that clock one time. Right. Because I'm so in it. Mm -hmm. So I'm the guy that's in it. Right. Whatever. If someone really cares that I'm, now here's the thing. I didn't ask you how late are you? I'm rarely more than 10 or 15 minutes late. So like at that point, and if I'm going to be, Again, this is where going back to everything we were talking about, communication is a really big key. Is like I will communicate, hey, I'm running, I'm running behind. And I yeah. will communicate that like hours prior sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, like as soon as somebody gets me off track, I literally text that next person, like, I'm gonna be fifteen minutes. Right. Don't stress don't you stress getting there on time because like I'm not stressed about it. And that's yeah. how I just go. And I it's cool because in Austin, like most people are like you and I. Yeah. yeah <laughs> most people in Austin are 10 minutes late. <laughs> There's a reason I stay here. Yeah. 
But most people, if you just tell them a couple hours in advance, they don't care. It's yeah. the preparation, yeah. right? It's when you yeah. don't tell them. That's when people get bent out of it's shape. It's how you do things mm -hmm. how you rather do than things. what you're actually doing. Right. Like, yeah. Being late is okay if you go about it in a way, hey, now you get 15 minutes. And if someone's really hardcore about it and they're like, okay, we're only taking a 45-minute meeting now rather than right. an hour, I'm going to be like, that's fine. Your time's yeah. valuable. Right. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. One of the things you touched on earlier is this concept of almost – molding your life into this ideal version of yourself or i think you described it as like polishing a diamond almost mm -hmm. so i was just curious what does are there things in your daily practice that help you get to that ideal version of yourself or that ideal headspace so you can be that diamond that you think about becoming yeah i kind of break my life down in the word thrive the time health relationships income vision experiences then Again, I, if you're listening to this, I can tell you all these different things, but it's easier to understand what not to do than it is what to do. So mm. when I think about my time, I think about what shouldn't I do if I say I have these, this mission in life or these goals. What shouldn't I do that's going to affect my health? What shouldn't I do that's going to have a bad ending on my relationships? What shouldn't I do if I want my income to go up? And mm. I look at like the bad things that are easier to cut away. So if we're looking at time, right? It's, okay, what do I consider wasted time? You have to define that yourself. So if you are looking at your time and you consider Netflix not to be wasting your time because you enjoy that one hour you have with your significant other to just relax, well, I can't tell you not to watch Netflix because in my head, maybe I'm like, that's not valuable, but to you, it's valuable. So I wanted to give a little sliver there. It's just like, you have to determine that time. That's why I put T as the top. Mm. Um, most people sacrifice their time, their health and relationships for income. And they're not, they're, they're sacrificing things that they shouldn't be doing with their time, their health and their relationships. So like they're sacrificing for jobs that they don't like, which then sacrifice their health, which then sacrifices their relationships because they're showing up crabby everywhere. Mm. Right. And then they're, they're doing it for this income when the reality is, most people that are rich, if you flip it on its head, they're not spending a lot of their time working, quote unquote. So we just took a step back and actually built acronyms into our life and had the mindset of what shouldn't I be doing? And if you just took away, I would say even 50% of those things, everything else just falls in line mm -hmm. for the average person. Like the average person watches four hours of TV a day. Right. If you cut that in half, now you have two hours. Now you can't be the person that is like, CJ, you work out two hours a day. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, just take out the two of the hours that you watch TV and there you go. You got your two hours of working out. Right. Don't complain to me. You don't have time to work out. Yeah. It's actually really fitting for our approach to nutrition, which is basically get rid of the negative and enjoy eating the way you want to. But like, you know, you don't need to be an extreme stickler once you start eating real foods and you get rid of all the processed crap. It's like kind of same philosophy, right? Like you're getting rid of the junk. Yeah. You get rid of the junk and I mean, 80, 20 principle for almost everything in life. Yeah. Like that's, that's kind of how I follow. I'm not the guy. Now I used to be the guy even with alcohol and stuff like that. I, I transitioned from drinking a lot to the 80, 20 principle, but then I was just like, again, I look back on my time and my health and my relationships. And I was like, what is serving me and what is not mm. alcohol did not serve me. Nope. It was mm -hmm. not, I did not like who I was when I drank. I didn't like how I felt the next three days. It wasn't productive to my fitness goals. Mm -hmm. It didn't, it did not have a purpose. So once I took it out, I'm like, Oh, now I, I don't have to do anything else. Right. It, the time just falls in my lap of, mm. okay, 
Now you feel better. Yeah. Now you show up better. Now you're compounding the positive interest rather than a negative interest mm. just by taking something away. The clarity that comes from just pulling alcohol out of your day-to-day lifestyle is incredible. You think about people that go out every Friday and Saturday. It's like, okay, you're, it's one to two nights a week, but then it's probably, like you said, 48 to 72 hours to probably try and get on, back on track. And you even look at the concept of going out. It's like you're at a bar that's or a club that's like dimly lit. You're trying to literally get shit-faced off of eight to 10 drinks because you're nervous to go talk to a girl. It's like, it's, it's, it's almost, it's sad because there's so many of these behaviors where people are almost forgetting who they are, where it's like, what you're talking about, it's like you start to eat clean and do things every day that challenge yourself. You're like, I don't need alcohol to go off confidence to go talk to someone. Like, it's just, it's so interesting because you're, and then you're talking about how you can't even relate to that version of yourself. That's 25. And it's like, of course, that's literally a different person. And I feel the same way. I know, Harry, you feel the same way too. And it's all, I think a lot of it has stemmed from like just cutting alcohol out and becoming this like clear minded version of yourself. I love statistics. What, what is the, what do you think that, I don't know this stat, but when you go to a bar, what is the average time someone spends at a bar on a Friday or Saturday night? I think three hours. Six. All right. Let's cut that in half. 4.5. Let's meet in the middle. Um, 4.5. 4.5. Wow. Let's round up to five just to be even. Let's say they spend five hours in a bar every week. There's 52 weeks. Let's just call it 50 for, for shits and giggles. 200, what does that make? So five hours times 50, what do you have? 250. Okay. Yeah. How many hours is that? 250 hours broken into a days. Basically 10 days almost. You have 10 days that year that you spent in a bar. Yeah. Poisoning in a yourself. shitty bar, poisoning yourself. 10 days. Now, More what do I have? I have 10 days doing what? I don't know. Like <laughs> It could literally be anything. <laughs> it could be anything, right? <laughs> Traveling, yeah. working out with my friends, enjoying my life, improving myself, building a business. You fill it in however you want. Same thing with TV. If a person watches four, hour, four hours of TV per day, look this up. Google it right now. If you want yeah. to listen to me and fact check me, the average person watches like four hours of TV per day. I'm probably thinking they break that down into in the morning they turn the TV on, at night they turn the TV on, right? Mm-hmm. Now you do that four times seven times however many days, 365 in a year. I am gaining months on that person. Yeah. Months because I don't, I don't even have cable. And it could even be as simple as you making that more time for you to go to sleep and rest and recover and things where you're doing nothing on the surface, but it's actually serving you because you're refueling your recharge for the next day's workout, uh, busy business day, whatever it is. Um, like even that it's just a better use of your time than going and drowning yourself and so feeling like shit the next day. It's, it's so powerful because you start realizing compound interest and how it does actually work. Yeah. And here's something that'll, that'll hit home with, with people. Where do your parents live? Virginia, New Jersey. How often do you see them per year? probably like 10 to 20 days a year max i'd say probably similar now that i'm across the country okay let's say 10 keep it keep it simple again how old are they uh 62 okay average age is 85 let's say yeah that's 23 years 10 days times 23 years how many days you have left with them yeah damn that's sobering that's insane there's this graphic online too that does that same stuff where it's like it it's like all the dots have you seen that one it's incredible. It like visualizes the time you have left. And it's like, basically we're all going to be here for another like six election cycles, things like that. And then like 
you know, however many more Super Bowls you're going to be in attendance to. And it's just, it's crazy to think about it because when you start putting time in that perspective, you start valuing it appropriately. And you start cultivating an environment in your head, going back to the very first conversation. When you respect your own time, mm-hmm. magic happens. And that's where, with the being late, just accept that you're the late guy. As long as you're respecting the fact that, like, I am in it. Yep. I'm not going to apologize to that next person because I'm in it. Now I can be respectful and say, hey, I'm going to be late, right. but I'm not going to apologize for being so in it that, I mean, time's made the fuck up. Yeah. Made it up, <laughs> right? It's 100%. Like the clocks were made yeah. up. Yeah. So it's just when people get really bent out of shape of that, that's where talking about your parents and stuff like that is like I – and here's another thing that could be helpful for people. Like when I try to determine – what I should do in my life. So someone asked me to do something. I'm like, is this going to happen again? Or is this a once in a year thing? A once in five years? Once in 10? Or may I never get this opportunity again? Mm-hmm. If I am never going to get this opportunity again, I'll sacrifice sleep. I'll sacrifice my nutrition. I'll sacrifice certain things for that thing. I might never get the opportunity again in my lifetime. So going back to drinking. If I find myself in a vineyard in Italy... <laughs> because something brought me out there and it's a magical experience. Will I take a sip of wine? Most likely. Yes. Yeah. And I'm not going to be like, I'm seven years without alcohol. I'm not going to drink this. It's like, I'm never going to be here again. Right. I, I find myself in this random cool experience. Fuck it. Yeah. Right. Most people can't understand how to spend the time because they won't face death. Like mm. you were talking about. Right. Another great example is before the pandemic, a lot of people were commuting. I don't know how many, what the stats are on that now. But if I asked you, are you willing to die for your job? Most people would be like, no. And I'd be like, well, did you know that you have a one in 4,000 chance every time you get in a car to get in an accident? And how many minutes are you spending in that car every single day driving to a job that you just said you're not willing to die for? Mm -hmm. They start rethinking like, Hmm. that's a really good point. Should I have this job? Should I be willing to drive to this job and risk my life every single day? That's on you. You got to answer that question. You got to answer that question. (laughs) For me, I do want to risk my job. I mean, I do want to risk my life for my job every single day. If we're going to spend so much time on our jobs and our careers, it better be something damn sure you're willing to risk. So it's just like for me, like showing up to what I show up to, I know in my head that this is a moment where I need to make every heartbeat count. Mm. If it doesn't feel like that, you need to pull the plug on that and then your health, your relationships, your income, your vision, your experience, everything else takes care of itself. If you start with that, that time frame, which is such a good point because I mean, I would, I would love to know the statistics on, cause it seems like anecdotally almost every friend that I have, that's a millennial that's working some type of a corporate nine to five is literally miserable with their job. And all they talk about is wanting to escape it and do something different, but they don't necessarily have a plan of attack yet to actually get there. Do you, I'm, you probably get asked this all the time, but do you have advice for that millennial that's like, fuck, I just feel like I'm stuck. I want to get out of this thing. I don't know what the next step is. I want to get there. I mean, you guys could probably guess what I asked them to do first. Hmm. Write down right, where yeah. they're spending their time. Right, right. And then they're going to come back. I'm going to be like, do not bullshit me. Right, yeah. Write down where you're spending your time. And I was like, actually, don't write it down because I was 25. I was in a corporate job. I know what you're doing. <laughs> Friday night, Five o'clock rolls around. Here's what you're probably doing. Yeah. And even if you're not at the bar, here's what you're probably doing. Right. And they'll be like, mm, you're right. Yeah. And I was like, so do you really want 
to escape, you're not showing me that. You're spending yeah. this many hours per month not working on that thing. Yeah. Going in the same direction. You know how many people come to me and be like, I want a different job? And I'm like, okay, how many places did you reach out to? And they'll be like, oh, I sent in like 30 resumes and I haven't heard anything. I didn't say how many resumes did you send in. I said, how many places have you reached out to? Yeah. Where they like, know who you well, are. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. And I'll be like, people get jobs from people. Mm. They don't get jobs from sending the resume in. So that's 100%. where like we're so fucked up as a society because yeah. people can't – like mental models is one thing that I work on constantly. Just having a strong mental model comes from cultivating the environment in your head of like what I say do I that I want, the result. Am I living up to the system and the process that gets that result? Mm-hmm. Most yeah. – nine out of ten times, it's a no. Yeah, yeah. So if Literally. it's a no, no coach, no book, no community, no men's group, no women's group, it's not going to help you because yeah. you can't look in the mirror and say, I'm not living up to the process and the system that I need to be living up to to get that result. Most results that we all want in life, not rocket scientists. Most people, $70,000 a year is what makes me most people happy. Google, what type of jobs make $70,000 a year? Yeah. What process or system do I need to enter and be effective at to hit that threshold yes mm -hmm. yeah it's like the mental model of can't versus won't which is mm. so powerful right <laughs> because the majority of people in this camp that you're talking about they literally say that they can't do it and can't means you are physically incapable of completing <laughs> this thing won't is you actually can if you want to you're just actually not willing to put forward the sacrifice the effort whatever you want to call it the thing that's actually going to get you to your goals and that's what we both have accepted where it's like We've grown our Twitter and our podcast tremendously, but we're still not where we want to be. And we've, we, yesterday we're having an honest conversation of like, we can do this. We just have to accept the fact that it's going to take more effort to get to that point. And we haven't shown that we actually want to get to that next level, which is why we don't have the thing that we want. I can't wait to clip that up. <laughs> that was good. And it, it sparked, sorry, mom. Um, Noah and I have a mobile sauna and ice bath set up that we I get the I get to watch people every week pretty much change their can't into can mm. through getting in ice. My mom on a DM one time she DMs me on because I, I get in the ice and I say, do your ice baths and she's said something to the to the fact of like I wish I could do that or I could never do that. And I was like, you could do it tonight. Mm -hmm. Go buy ice. It's 30 bucks. Fill your bathtub up. Pour some water in it. Get in it. It's not rocket science. Yeah. Just get in the tub. Yeah. And I, there's, there's this thing too. I mean, it goes back to the environment, right? Like I do think that having people around you who are doing it helps you get into the ice bath. Like if you're just sitting there at home, it's not something that you're thinking about. Like you don't have the inspiration to go dive in. You don't have the motivation to get in there, but having that environment of people who are just like, yeah, we're going to do this shit and you're going to come like the amount of people I've brought to the ice bath for the first time. They're like, I've never done this. Like, I don't want to go in there. And then at the end of it, they're like, I feel amazing. It's like, it begs me to ask the question. Is it tr like, are people born? Like, I feel like I was someone that was born with the innate. If you tell me I can't do something, mm -hmm. I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm. 
And I just did that over and over and over again. I think it's bred through sports, man. Sports are powerful in that way. Like it, it creates that drive. Like, Oh, you don't think I can. All right, let's go. Is it, and this is where in today's society, I think we're doing our youth so wrong with this. Everyone gets a trophy mindset because what breeds what you just said isn't patting kids on the back. No. Great job when they did a shitty job. I was the best player on my high school team when I was a senior. I also got yelled at the most. Yeah. My coach was on my ass every day. Mm -hmm. Now, if I was in today's world, I'd bitch and I'd moan and I'd get that coach fired. Literally, though. Literally. Look at today's athletes. Most, I think a lot of athletes today are starting to develop that same trophy mindset. It's like they think that they have earned what, you know, whatever it is. Cough, cough, NBA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how much do you appreciate your coach now looking back? Because I'm assuming he, he was yelling at you because he probably recognized that you had this incredible potential and was trying to juice every drop out of your, your talent. I mean, even then, I, it didn't – that – I think good coaches understand how they can get the most out of people. I'm the type of person where it, the way that you talk to me doesn't necessarily impact me as much. Um, I just need to know that you care about me, mm-hmm. and I will try harder. Yes. So if you're on me, then I know that you care because, again, time is our most valuable resource. It was when – the coaches weren't talking to me or weren't on me. That's when I had fear of, wait, what's going on? Like, am I, am I not great anymore? Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the, the misconception. And I think I was raised in an environment and this is where it, it, I think it stems from just the household, like broken homes, like, and, and by broken homes today, it doesn't mean that your parents are divorced. It means that like your parents, both your parents have two jobs that are very stressful. They're on technology all day. They're just not putting the energy into the youth that we used to do. They're, mm-hmm. they're outsourcing that energy to schools where schools are just babysitting them. Mm-hmm. And we're not teaching these principles of life is hard. Yeah. But it's also beautiful when you conquer that hard thing. That's where all the, the good thing is. All the good. So I was raised in an environment where to to go from good to great wasn't fun. I'll just put it I'll put it nicely like that. Yeah. It was and to give context, it's you get a ninety, why didn't you get a hundred? Mm-hmm. What stopped you from getting a hundred? Now when you're a kid, you're like, Man, give me a fucking break. <laughs> but when you're an adult and you're in my path as an entrepreneur, you realize that like I can keep going on the path that I am with this podcast. It's fun. It it gets me connections. I provide a lot of value to people. But if I keep doing it the way that I'm doing it, it's not going to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's not going to grow. It's not going to impact as many people as I want it to impact because it's only operating at a 70 right now. Mm. And then I got to get to a 71 and a 72. So I remember going back to my dad, like that's what he was trying to teach me. Mm. It's like if you want to be the best, it doesn't take – you don't just get to say, okay, I got a 90. Let me take the foot off the gas. And what that shows up like in great coaches is they know that even though my 90% is better than most of the other kids at their full potential, he knows that I still have levels to go mm-hmm. and that he needs to drill that into me. And it, the entrepreneurial principle is like 80% of your time should be focused on your best clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
most people fuck that up. They spend 80% of their time putting out fires for their worst clients and their mm-hmm. worst customers. Fuck those people. Yeah. Spend 80% of your time on the best. Yeah. And everything else will fall in line. Again, yeah. it comes back to the whole concept we were talking here is just time. Like, where do you spend that time? Yeah. And I understood from a young age that if the coach spent the time on me, no matter how it looked, because every coach operates differently, some yell, some curse, some don't. I just knew from growing up in a home that if my if they were spending time on me, that I was worth it. And then I would show up better and better and better mm. just because of that time. And today, we don't teach kids that. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a perfect transition to how you're spending your time now with the Thrive on Life podcast to put a bow on this conversation. You know, you're all in on this thing. You've committed three years of your life to it. Where can people go find it? What are they going to expect or, or what should they expect when they go there? Like, this is probably a great taste for people in terms of who you are. Um, amazing story, amazing background, incredible insight. But what can they expect when they get to your, your podcast? The mission of the podcast, and this is in the intro, is to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. So if you're somebody that is just looking for, for more out of your life, the qualification for the guests that come on is they have to be doing this for a greater purpose than just like, I want to make a ton of money or I want to tell you how many books I've written or I've been in Entrepreneur Magazine. Like nobody that I bring on talks like that or speaks like that or I don't give them the floor to even to be like that. The conversations that we have are allowing that person to tell little bits of their story that are, are connective to the listener on the other end because we all have been through shit in our life mm-hmm. and some people will connect with it and some people won't. But the only way that I can connect some of those people is if I give somebody the floor that had a corporate job for two or three years, didn't like it. And then they started on their entrepreneurial journey and I'm catching them one year in. So they haven't made a million dollars yet. Heck, they might not have made $10,000 yet. But if you're the person that's looking to quit your job and start something, they have a lot of advice of what it's going to be like because they're in it right now. So going back to how we were talking about, I can't relate to that person that I was 10 years ago, the people that I bring on now are typically 25 to 45 years old and are in a part of their journey that the listeners can actually relate to Mm -hmm. rather than these super mega successful people that you're not gonna relate to. Yeah, they might have some things that are trendy and, and really wise answers, but they're not gonna be able to say like, yeah, I have, a thousand dollars in my bank account right now, or I really don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like I, I'm building these brands and these different things. Uh, with that, they are very sharp and they're individuals that I want to connect you with. And that's where I'll end with it is the mission is clear, but the goal of every episode is to get the guest connected with somebody that listened and them helping each other above and beyond that podcast episode. So what that looks like is, shout out to Mona, she was on here talking about education reform and what she's helping the teachers do with education reform. A guy got on a plane, was Googling, hey, I want a podcast on education. She showed up, reached out to her, they had a phone call. I believe she was on his podcast and now that she's been on these couple podcasts, she's been invited to speak at a couple different places. They don't know who I am. I mean, they, maybe they listen to the podcast, but they have never met me. They've never talked to me. They never emailed me. She is now thriving in her life just because of an hour-long conversation because okay. it connected her with people that felt something when she spoke. And that is my goal is 
even I'm going to share this on my platform, uh, on my channels. Hopefully someone likes what Brett and Harry had to say, and mm -hmm. then they reach out to you. Yeah. What is that feeling like for you to indirectly see those connections happen because of the podcast that you facilitated to, to inject Mona's mission out into the world? <sighs> Gives me chills. Mm -hmm. Because... I know what it's like to be on the opposite end. There's a few people that have changed the course of my life. Just not, the guy in the other room, just by being around me. He's one of them, Noah. And he met me because Jason from Squatch believed in me to run a New Year's Day event. And we had a community that showed up. And Noah came to that event because of somebody in Minnesota from Embrace North, Dr. Andy, shout out to you, put us in a text message together. Noah shows up. We then create and cultivate these other things. So I know what it's like to be on the opposite end and how much my life is better because of it. So that's where that is. If my mission is to help those mission-based people and, and help a million people, then the goal, the, the goal that I can achieve every single time that I have a conversation, I can achieve that every single time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Because somebody's going to reach out. Somebody will connect with your story. Absolutely. I feel like authenticity is like the perfect word to describe this conversation, honestly. Yeah, man. Because the way you're talking, I feel like I literally have chills hearing you just tell your story and your, your experiences. and. I think this is cool too because I, I'm, I'm learning a ton about you and it's like it's easy to just see you as a finished product but also just to hear everything, all your experiences that have shaped you into the person now. I guarantee you that there's people in our audience that are going to be really positively impacted by this. So we just appreciate you coming on, man, and having this and hopefully we get to come on yours and we can do a little swap and it's gonna keep happen. it going. I have to end though. You said finished product and I think this is what I'm so far from finished. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm in a wonderful men's group called men we admire i try to have dinner with my wife and i hate the word try i most of the time 80 percent have dinner with my wife every night and we have conversations around how how do we improve how do i improve i'm constantly looking to improve and i this is just one version of me and i wrote this in something the other day that i hope that when i'm 41 i look back on 31 and i feel disconnected mm -hmm. And then when I'm 51, I'm disconnected from the 41. If you don't strive to feel that way, you aren't shooting big enough. Mm -hmm. Like this life, you can do so much more than you think you can. But it starts with the belief of I need to change some of the things that I'm doing today to become that person right now. What does that look like? And this has been an awesome conversation because I can just feel that you gave me a chance to step in to be this one sliver of the person that I am now. And the beauty is five years from now, 10 years from now, I get to go back to this conversation and listen to myself and say, wow, like he's great. Man, he has a lot to learn. <laughs> like a time capsule. That's a sign of a good life, man. If you can look back and say, I, I changed, I, I improved myself over that time period. Dude, this has been amazing, man, and uh, looking forward to seeing what you accomplish over these next few years because your mindset is is clearly pointed in the right direction. So I know our audience is going to love this, so we'll, uh, we'll link to everything in the show notes, but appreciate you coming on, man. Perfect. Everybody thrive on. Thank you guys for having me on.